Hey, it's Diana with Progress Texas. Just a quick note to say thanks for listening to this podcast. Make sure and subscribe and also listen back to our recent episodes, which have covered the fight against SB8, Texas's restrictive abortion ban, our continuing search for a solid candidate for governor, Abbott's ridiculous behavior over vaccines and masks, and tons more. Thanks again for your support and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hey everyone, it's Safik Alawalia, your host, and welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm joined by President Ed Espinosa, Advocacy Director Diana Gomez, and Communications Director Wesley Story. This week we're covering three big stories. One, updates on redistricting. Two, COVID lawsuits and vaccine mandate bans. And three, attacks on trans kids. But this is a happy hour, so what's everyone drinking today? Uh, I have nothing, I gotta admit, I don't have anything to drink. Um, we're still unpacking. Wesley, what do you got? I am drinking a Moscow Mule. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. Wow. Mostly because Ooh. I had the cup and I wanted to show it off. But nice. uh, Is there any collusion going on right now, Wesley? Do you need to know something about you? <laughs> no, not at all. No. Okay, good. <laughs> what about you, Diana? Um, I have what I have every week, uh, truly. A truly good opportunity for sponsorship, if you ask me. Yes, truly. truly. And Ed, last but not least, our roast master. How are you doing? What are you drinking? (laughs) Speaking of last night's roast, I'm actually, (laughs) I got a cold brew today. Mm -hmm. High brew coffee from uh, locally brewed here in Austin. Also sponsorship opportunity. If you're listening, high brew. Um, we drink it all the time. We stock it here in the fridge next to the beers that I usually have. And, you know, there's been a lot of late nights recently with uh, our so-called leaders in the Capitol voting on redistricting. Ed, you've been following the story very closely. A redistricting update. Um, so, as you all know, we are in the thick of redistricting at the Texas legislature right now. And um, we have now seen the state house maps, the state senate maps, and most recently the congressional maps. Um, The thing that is important to remember, and we have talked about it a lot here at Progress Texas, both on this podcast and on the airwaves as well, is that it's important for our political districts to look like the people who live in Texas and to look like the people who helped us get the expanded seats in Congress. But that's not what what is happening with these districts. And I have some numbers that I wanna read to you now. I, I put these up on Twitter at Ed Espinoza. They think they're also up at on at Progress Texas as well. Texas House passed some extremely gerrymandered maps. The white population in Texas is 40%. 40% of the people who live here are white. That population controls roughly 60% of the political districts because of the way they've been sliced up. Now, the Latino population is also roughly 40% of the state but controls 20% of the districts. Black population is 12% of the state, but controls less than 3% of the districts. And of course, by control, what we mean is, are these minority opportunity districts? Are these districts that are truly representative of these communities? Or have they been packed and cracked, which we've talked about many times before, what packing and cracking is. Um, and what we can see by these percentages, that you know numbers don't lie. And what these numbers tell us is that they have been packed and cracked to represent something that does not reflect our reality in this state. So it's very frustrating. Um, and it has, uh, the, the, it, it's very frustrating, but it's not very surprising. 
A not so happy note to the start of our happy hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, drink, drink to that. All right. So let me tell you a little bit more then, while we're um, while we are pondering those numbers. Um, earlier this week, the maps for the new state legislative districts passed out of committee at three thirty in the morning. The hearing for those maps was at ten a.m. the same morning, six and a half hours later. No sufficient public notice. No testimony from experts. No amendments made to the committee recommendation. Uh, Wesley, I think you followed some of this. Dana, I think you did as well, being our legislative leads. But this is, I mean, they literally passed the maps in the middle of the night. So what this tells us, and we've talked about this before as well, but I'll, I'll emphasize this again. It tells us that a court case is eminent that we will see these maps challenged, not only by how they were drawn, but by how they con conducted the process to get us here. And haven't there, haven't like every single one of the maps that have come out of the ledge been challenged in court? Yeah, ever since the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, Texas, has, Texas maps have been in court every time there's been redistricting each 10 years. So I don't expect that, there's no reason to expect that to be any different this time. Uh, old habits die hard, I guess. Yeah, so like you said, Ed, it's been a really busy week in the ledge. Um, at the beginning of the week, the House had uh, the full House met and ended up voting, like you said, at 3.30 a.m. Tuesday morning on the House maps. But then also yesterday, there was a hearing on the congressional maps and the House committee passed them through as well. Um, and that was the actually the hearing yesterday was the one that we had hardly any advance notice for. So on Tuesday in the afternoon, they announced that they were going to be taking them up on yesterday during um, their committee hearing. And the people had until 10 p.m. on Tuesday night after finding out at around 3 p.m. that they were going to be taking up this bill. They had until 10 p.m. to register to testify the next day. Um, and so, like you said, that is a, it's a, something that's really important to note because courts will take all of that into account whenever they're deciding what to do about these maps. And the fact that Texans are being restricted from participating in this process, it's been super inaccessible. Um, and so I think that that's something that I think folks need to be aware of. And I also I wanted to ask you of if in the past, if you've seen this be the case in former, I mean, I know it's been 10 years now, but how this process typically goes, do you feel like it's being rushed this time around or do you feel like it's going about as the same as it always goes? So yes, it was 10 years ago. And as you were so kind to remind me last week, you were in band, in high school band during that time 10 years ago. Um, however, my aging memory does still serve me well. I do remember uh, 10 years ago, I would say the timetable was about the same, but the speed of which it's going through committees and coming out is different, right? And I think what's happening this time is that the legislature is taking on so many other crazy issues at the same time, whereas 10 years ago, they re I, I believe they may have just focused on redistricting in their special session. They also had a special session 10 years ago. It was, it was like September or October when they did it. But here's where it goes from here. Um, <clears throat> there's a lawsuit that causes an injunction against the maps. Um, the courts would come back and make some recommendations. They would make some adjustments. Then there will be a countersuit to appeal the adjustments. Uh, there will be some sort of interim maps in the meantime. And when we have those interim maps, I don't know how revolutionary those changes will be. Probably not entirely revolutionary. 
um, there may be tweaks here and there in the most egregious areas. So for instance, the donut district might end up looking more like a croissant district with an opening at the top or something like that. Um, I think, uh, so that, that's how that went last time. But let's talk a little bit about why it's like that right now and why these numbers are so drastic. Republicans are really trying to look for some sort of insulation from all of the crazy stuff they've done this session. Think back to the 2019 legislative sessions. It was one of the most civil legislative sessions we have seen in a long time. Of course, I say civil in a relative sense because it's still Texas. But like, think about all the crazy stuff they did after the 2020 election. They thought that their days were numbered, and they are, but they thought their days were numbered as a majority in this state. And in 2020, they, 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 they broke even. Right? They didn't lose any seats, they didn't gain any seats. Republicans came back and they felt emboldened by that. <clears throat> and that's why you see so many attacks, endless attacks on abortions, on trans kids, the crazy playing to the right-wing base when it comes to COVID response, permitless carry, you name it. There's so many issues. And the way they insulate themselves from any sort of electoral accountability is by chopping up the state into a way that is unrepresentative of the state. And, and that's what's happening here. Again, the white population is 40% of the state. They have drawn districts so that it is nearly 60% representation in these districts. Latino population also almost 40% and is about 20% of the representation. That is, uh, if that's not suspect, I don't know what is. And it's interesting, Leslie, your question about the the speed at which they're doing things. It reminds me of in from the very beginning of the first regular session, which, God, seems like years ago now. Um, they have Dog been years. like, <laughs> yeah, they've been uh, working at this really high speed this whole time. It seems the way they were rushing through anti-abortion legislation and absolutely, you know, everything else. And I, I know that we had that thought in the beginning of this year that, you know, one of the reasons that they were doing this was because if you remember again at the beginning of this year, uh, there weren't that many folks that were able to go in person to testify without risking their health because vaccines weren't a thing still. Um, and there were a lot of unvaccinated people at the Capitol and there weren't that many uh, precautions being taken there and they didn't allow for any virtual testimony at that moment. So it seems like a theme of them just like ramming things through as fast as possible. Obviously also to help in the deal that they made with the devil at the beginning of the year to get 666 bills passed after the first that. regular session. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's super intentional. And I think uh, yesterday, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, one of our congresswomen, actually went and testified in front of the committee. And she commented on how difficult it was for her to be there and make an appearance. She knew that she wanted to show up because her um, district is one of the districts that's really being gerrymandered with the congressional maps. And so she wanted to speak for the people that she represents. And she said, you know, she over hell or high water, she was going to make it to testify on these maps, but that for somebody that doesn't have the resources that she has, someone who lives in Texas, maybe too far away from the Capitol, or even just somebody who needs the time to understand these maps because they're confusing, you know, less than a day is not enough time to do the research that you need to prepare testimony to make the trip to Austin. And so I, 
what you're saying is true. This is intentional and they're doing it so that they're not getting as much dissent um, because they don't like to deal with the dissent. So, you know, the other big thing that's happened this week is Abbott's insane, hypocritical, not real vaccine mandate ban. Um, and I just want to point out for the listeners that there's no vaccine mandate yet either. So in like this continuing pattern, Abbott is making up problems to get people pissed off about. Uh, and Diana, you've been following this pretty closely. Do you want to expand on like what exactly he's trying to do? Yeah. So as if we haven't already been going through the longest legislative session of all time, it seems it's it's my first one. But I just feel like these aren't this isn't typical. Um, pro now. Yeah, he so he added it to the the call of of this uh you know not so special session is this ban on vaccine mandates because um allegedly you know we have to protect our bodily autonomy, right? We we make our decisions for ourselves. The government can't tell us what to do. Um obvious doesn't that sound familiar? I don't know. Um but except when it comes to obviously SB8 and you know uteruses, being able to have abortions, you know, anything like that, that that doesn't matter. But when it comes to, um, you know, good health things like possibly, you know, uh, protecting people against a I think it's a global pandemic. Um, yeah. Obviously, that that, you know, that's the exception. Well, Texas is the world, right? So it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Permanent carries on the way. Watch out, COVID. <laughs> doesn't work that way unfortunately. And you know, what's wild is on top of that pending legislation on the vaccine mandate bans, he also issued an executive order this week, making it to where organizations, entities across the state are not allowed to require vaccinations. And what's interesting about that is something called the Supremacy Clause, which establishes that under the federal constitution, in federal law, um, federal law takes precedence over state laws. And so what that means is that this order by Abbott may not even be able to go into effect because of federal law that supersedes his order. The supremacy clause is important because it really emphasizes the political theater that this is, right? Like Abbott is a lawyer. He has served on the Texas Supreme Court. He clearly understands the difference between what the states can do and what the feds can do. He doesn't care because what he's trying to do is just throw out any kind of smoke and mirrors to keep his Republican base happy. And the thing is the Republican base, and it's not all the Republican base, it's just like the most rabid base, uh, members of the base, right? And they love it, but they still hate his ass because his numbers are still underwater with, with, uh, in the polls. And this is all because he has never had a political primary. At least I don't think he has. And he has two opponents running against him in the Republican primary for governor right now. So it's more than a little ridiculous. It is literally a mandate against mandates. Whatever happened to limited governments? Whatever happened to small governments? This is the complete opposite we're getting from this guy. Very frustrating. It's as if there were never a pandemic in Texas at all. Has there been a pandemic? I don't think so. What pandemic? Yeah, exactly. Not according to the Republicans. No. <laughs> it's all a hoax. <laughs> it's no. a hoax, and we need to protect people from this imaginary thing. And, and the last thing I'll say on this um, is that uh, if you're a federal contractor and you get federal contracts, you have to follow the federal guidance anyway, right? And this, I mean, we already talked about the supremacy clause, but there's those things that play in, which is why Southwest Airlines, which had this big issue this week, 
you know, Abbott can issue an executive order, it is completely meaningless to some entity that has to abide by the Federal Aviation Administration and by, by any other kind of federal contracts. Uh, the other thing is that it's, this is an example, this, this uh, mandate against mandates is another example of how Abbott has treated this pandemic, going against having mask mandates, going against uh, allowing people to have uh, to, to regulations against any kind of religious services in order to protect against COVID, an inconsistency to fight the virus and allowing the vi- thereby allowing the virus to proliferate. And it's interesting, too, that he's uh, pushing through this um, th- this law or this mandate that honestly might not, like you said, Wesley, be able to, you know, go into effect or actually be legal, uh, which is a, a classic uh, Republican trick, because as we all know, um, you know, there are a lot of, quote unquote, abortion bans that had before SB8 um, had taken place in cities throughout Texas without realizing that Roe versus Wade was the law of the land. And it was honestly just a, a, a trick from the right to conf- from anti-abortion activists too, is to, to confuse people, to make them think that abortion wasn't legal, even though it actually really was because of federal rules. And so this is just another example of um, Republicans repeating the same tactics. And I think that in the meantime, because this is going to go to the courts and they're going to have to sort it out there. But in the meantime, because there are those dueling mandates, you know, at the federal level and then here at the state level, it's going to create a lot of uncertainty for employers and for their employees and the businesses associated with our state or businesses that do business with our state. And so that's really Republicans, again, claim to be time and time again, business friendly. But this is not a business friendly mandate. Yeah, you mentioned it's a good point you mentioned, Wesley, about like conflict with our confusion in businesses, because what it also does is it, it feeds into conflict amongst employees who may not know the law or don't follow the law and come back and say, no, the governor said you can't do this. And then the employer suddenly has to explain that. And then suddenly there's this like added tension in the workplace because of the uncertainty. And think about like service industry jobs like music venues or restaurants or anything where there's like a real need for this type of protection. There's an article in the Austin Chronicle this week about a band that broke up because two of its members refused to get vaccinated and three of its members did. And it wasn't, for them, it was an economic argument, which is that the members of the band had quit their day jobs to be musicians full time. But if they were not fully vaccinated, they could not tour and they couldn't participate in certain festivals Two of the members were fine with that, but the other three members were like, hey, you are affecting our economic well-being with your decision. So they voted and they kicked him out of the band. And one of the guys that kicked out of the band is is the name of the band. So <laughs> was, oh I don't know how serious they were. So did they this. change their name or are they just going <laughs> to go with it? That's hilarious. <laughs> Sticking with it. Yeah. The name was an alias. And the, oh, the front okay. man was using the alias, so it wasn't his legal name. So apparently, they can still keep using it. And I guess oh. they just find a new one. It's like uh, it's like in uh, that old movie, um, Spinal Tap, uh-huh. where I think their drummer, all the drummers, were named Stumpy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, this makes me wish that we could kick uh, Greg Abbott out, um, which we can actually next year. Mm. So we should all be very excited <laughs> for that. Um, Ed, I know you have to run to a meeting soon, so thanks for all your wisdom on this place. Uh, we talk often about like what's happening at the state level. 
Um, and that local leaders, like elected officials are fighting back against these like really crazy things that the state's doing. Uh, we actually have a very special treat for everyone listening and watching today uh, because we have an actual person who's leading a lawsuit against the state uh, to protect kids from, um, from mask mandate bans. So we're gonna bring Kathleen on in a second. Ed, thank you so much. Bye, Ed. Bye, Ed. We miss you already. After the Progress Texas Happy Hour, be sure and pop over to ProgressTexas.org and check out all our great merch. Perfect for letting the world know that you're on the side of progress in Texas, too. Cool t-shirts and beautiful shades of blue. An awesome pride pack. Y'all means all. Buttons, stickers, can coolers, and more. Show your pride in progress at our web store at ProgressTexas.org. So today, we have with us Kathleen Thompson. She's one of our board members and a mother of three. And uh, she's going to talk to us about a lawsuit she's a part of and just like what's going on in the fight for Texans to defeat COVID as opposed to our governor seems to be, you know, COVID's biggest cheerleader. Kathleen, what are you working on? That's right. Unfortunately, um, we're in a school district uh, called Grapevine Colleyville ISD that has accepted the politicization of the pandemic. This never had to be political. Mm. Hundreds of thousands of Americans and tens of thousands of Texans would still be alive but they have accepted the politicization. They're ignoring the CDC. They're ignoring the American Academy of Pediatrics and our local children's hospital is called Cook's Children's. They're ignoring their advice on universal masking. And this is dangerous and unfortunately it's deadly. And in our school district, community members, parents are dying. A school board Mm -hmm. trustee's husband just died of COVID and the board is still unmoved. They won't take a public vote on masking and GCISD is pointing fingers at Greg Abbott and Greg, you know, Greg Abbott, other folks are pointing fingers back at GCISD, but um, Abbott didn't order our school district to take away physical barriers or distancing or contract tracing like they had last year uh, when cases and hospitalizations are fewer. And our school district is having weekly indoor unmasked Mm -hmm. events. And just last Friday, one of our AP government teachers attended school and was visibly ill and was pacing and shaking and coughing and he was unmasked and now he's diagnosed with COVID and he's out for a couple of weeks and we know that masking works we know that vaccines work we know that masking works so we should be using the tools that we have at our disposal to not fight each other but to, to fight this pandemic and that's what moms like me are working on and um, educators and parents and um, neighbors and community members are supporting this lawsuit and um, we're taking it into our own hands when um, our our leaders are failing us. So you mentioned uh, that you were before the show that you were like part of a lawsuit. Um, can you talk about like what exactly is going on with that? Where is it in the courts right now? Yes, it's been filed in um, federal court in the Western District. Um, judge Pittman is uh, the uh, judge who is just in the news about um, the abortion um, lawsuit. And, um, you know, we are people who are using the courts because we're not like others who, when we have a disagreement with our government, use violence. Um, Mm -hmm. We're we're using this lawsuit as a last resort after calls and texts to the board and administration and petitions and the like have been wholly ignored. So it's been filed and and now we wait for this to, to work in the courts and and hope that um meanwhile our our school board members will be moved but so far so far they're not and there are school districts 
who who are like Waco, or it was just in the news again today. They're they're going to be doing what's best for their kids and and their faculty and staff and their community, um, this, despite whatever um, Abbott's executive order is, um, and despite any threats from our um, indicted attorney general. You know, one thing that I think we've talked a lot about, and folks are familiar with the mental toll that this pandemic has had on adults and the folks who we hear from most often, but what gets ignored is the toll that it's had on children too. And so I'm interested to know how your boys feel about the fact that their schools really aren't doing what's necessary to keep them safe. They, they don't understand. They don't, I have a 16 year old and I have a 12 year old and they don't understand why they wear masks every day and a lot of their friends do, but why other peers and, and teachers who should be setting an example and school board trustees who you know attend the open meetings don't wear a mask and set a good example. And um, we have a three-year-old and she goes to a different ISD. She's in Dallas where she's protected and she's in a pre-K program. And we dropped off her middle schooler brother and she said, put on your mask to be safe. And he turned around and he said, you're right. You're, you know more than when, what these adults here do. And that's yeah. my world. So it's, it's confusing for them, but they do, they are old enough to understand that um, what happened in the 2020 election and what happened in 2016. And they do understand that unfortunately anti-scientific um, rhetoric is out there and that some people are choosing politics instead of people. Kathleen, would you mind letting us know a little bit more about like who else is involved in the lawsuit? Is it a group of, of parents um, and and what, what y'all are claiming in, in, in this suit? Yes. So um, for GCISD, there's another family. Um, and then there are lawsuits also um, right next door is Hearst Julius Bedford. There's a Hearst Julius Bedford a lawsuit. And um, this is a federal class action lawsuit. Our children have the right to go to school and be safe at school and receive a public education and to be safe at school. There is a national pandemic. Our children should be safe at school. And the only tools that we have right now are vaccines and masks. And as you know, not all children are old enough to be vaccinated. So we're asking not for masks for the rest of their lives until children graduate and go to college, but until the pandemic slows here in Texas. And unfortunately, the policies of Abbott and Patrick and Paxson have let COVID spread like wildfire here. And until um, the, the rates are reduced, the, the hospitalization rates and um, the, the infection rates are reduced, let's wear masks and, and get these rates lower and then let it be a, a county by county decision and let's use local control. So we're asking um, the federal courts to intervene and to um, let our children go to school safely and have a mask requirement until these numbers are, are brought back down. And this is serious, this isn't theoretical. People are dying and enough Texans have died and this isn't um, just numbers. These are these are partners who you know are not at the dinner table that night. These are parents who um, are not going to be there anymore. Who's who who don't take their kids to school anymore? And these are loved ones, and it's it's enough. 
Kathleen, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. Um, we're, we're, he's just putting us all in danger. And it's not just, it's not just about COVID. Uh, Wesley, you and I were talking earlier this week about the attacks on trans kids. And it's like, whether it's banning masks in school or stopping parents from getting vaccinated because employers can't mandate it, we're damaging our kids. And now they're attacking trans youth. And, you know, would you would you mind talking a little bit about what's going on at the Hill uh, at the Capitol? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we actually um, just published a blog today where we talk about both of these issues. And, you know, the title of the blog is what's Governor Abbott's problem with Texas children, because it really just seems like he's out to get our kids and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so as we speak right now, legislators in the Texas House are debating House Bill 25, which is the trans sports ban, the bill that would make it to where um, kids could not compete or trans kids could not compete on sports teams that align with their gender identity. This bill has already passed through the Senate, which means that if it passes today in the House, it'll be sent to Governor Abbott and he'll sign it into law, um, which is just really disappointing because we've gone through four sessions now. In session after session, um, activists, trans kids and their families have been able to stop this bill from moving forward. But Governor Abbott has been persistent and he's key, he's continued to put this bill on the call for session after session, and it's finally um, close to the breaking point. It's close to passing. And so what we know is that this is, again, just another attack on Texas children, and it puts lives at risk because it stigmatizes a group that already has a higher rate of suicide, already struggles with isolation due to the discrimination that this bill promotes. Um, an amendment was actually introduced just a little while ago um, from one of our Democratic reps trying to clarify um, pieces of the bill and just asking that trans girls, trans kids would be allowed to still practice with the teams. So not even asking that they can compete on the actual day of the games or in competition, but maybe they could just practice with the team so they could still um, have a sense of team work and like getting to know one another, you know, all of those important things that sports promote, um, maybe they could get that by just being able to practice. And that amendment was rejected. And so that's how you know that this has nothing to do with fair competition as the Republicans are claiming. It's just about stigmatizing a group of kids because they're different and this bill is wrong. Who, who are they doing this for? Like it's, it's not for sports, but like who, who are they doing this for, Wesley? Uh, they're doing it for a few far-right votes in the primaries that are coming up in 2022. That's all they're doing it for. They're doing it for their own political agenda, for their own political careers, and they're putting the lives of kids at risk. And that's also the same reason that Abbott is passing these mandates that he's been passing, is because he's trying to compete with his far-right primary opponents. And Wesley, would you mind mentioning... Um who are some of the organizations, like our partner organizations that are like leading on this work for folks who are concerned about this to know about sort of who to support and, and follow? Yeah, for sure. So you can follow Equality Texas. They're doing some amazing work. Um, TENT, which is the Trans Education Network of Texas, and then also ACLU of Texas is um, doing a lot of work surrounding this bill as well. So all of those groups are incredible. Um, you should definitely give them a follow if you're not already. I know that we're a little bit over time, so I can kind of wrap it up, but I just want to say to like any trans folks out there, but especially to trans youth, that you belong, you belong in sports, you belong in our state, you belong everywhere, and don't let these ignorant lawmakers question your right to exist, because at the end of the day, you belong here, you're loved, and um, 
eventually you'll have your day. Um, this law is not going to stay in effect. It's going to be challenged in court and hopefully we can defeat it in the long run. That's really well said, Wesley. I appreciate that. And I echo the same sentiments like you are loved, you belong, you deserve everything that you want. You know, I, just, I also just want to say really quick, it's just been so impressive to see that community and all the allies mobilize over and over and over again. And, and that's really like what, you know, I don't want those kids to have to do it, but to see their resiliency and their strength, it's just, it's so inspiring. And I think we could all learn something from how they've just handled this under such, with such dignity and grace. Yeah, um, close to 300 yeah. people showed up last yeah. week whenever there was a hearing to testify against this bill. I mean, every single time this bill has been brought up at the legislature, there's been overwhelming opposition um, and then only a few folks from the other side testifying in favor of it. So that just goes to show um, that the turnout has been incredible. The orgs that are doing this work are incredible, but also the trans kids and their families that have continued to turn out time and time again. Well, Kathleen, Wesley, Diana, Ed, who had to go on to a meeting, thanks as always for lending your expertise. Uh, to everyone who's watching and listening, thanks for joining us. Head over to www.progresstexas.org to follow us on social media and subscribe to our email list. If you're listening to us right now, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Have an amazing weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, everyone. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, with music by Walker Lukens. Please subscribe and share, and thanks so much for listening. See you again next week.